there. Good morning. I love the song, Worship His Holy Name. As, as we were singing that song, I heard your voices so beautifully. It's because you're filling in down here, downstairs. It's true. Thank you. But I heard your voices so beautifully, and I was edified that we were singing the same song. And the reason why we can sing the same song is because we all know the name of the Lord. That is a privilege. Do you consider that a privilege this morning that you know the name of the Lord? Moses was in the wilderness and he saw a bush on fire, yet it wasn't being consumed. And it was there that he learned the name of the Lord. What a privilege! Philosophers and scholars all over the world are trying to answer this one question Who is God? Men who are spending their life trying to answer the question, who is God? And yet all of us sing this morning the name that is God. Jesus Christ is God. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, you do if you know me. You know the answer, who is God? It's Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thought. If you've been reading your books, I am a church member. You know that this last chapter, number four that we're on, is I will pray for my pastor. I will pray for my pastor. I've changed it slightly to say I will pray for my church leaders. This week I picked up a book that one of the professors at Southern has written. His name's Donald Whitney. You can always spot Donald in the, in the hallways because he's one of the most handsome professors there. He has a perfectly white beard, perfectly white hair, and it was always well-groomed. But he is a powerful writer and scholar. And he wrote a book called Praying the Bible. And I picked it up this week and I began to read it. It's a very small book. You can see. Uh, you could read it within probably a couple days. But the overall thought of the book is to, as Christians, not become monotonous in our prayer. To not pray all the time. So many of us struggle with prayer, right? If you struggle with prayer, say amen. 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 And those of you who don't struggle with prayer, now we know you're liars. <laughs> just look at that person and judge them right now. Just, just look over and say, you're lying. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. So... So many of us struggle with prayer, and one of the things that Donald Whitney says in the book is he says we struggle with prayer not because we pray the same things, but because we say the same things. We just say the same things. It's not that we, we shouldn't pray for our family and for our job and for our church and for our nation and for our pastors. It's not that we shouldn't pray for those things, but we so many times say those things over and over, and it becomes empty speech, just repetitious speech. And so what he argues is to pick up the Bible and begin to read passages of Scripture and pray those passages of Scripture. John Piper says he, he would pray it verse by verse. He'd read a verse, then pray a prayer inspired by that verse. I want to challenge you to try that this week. Open up the Psalms and just begin to read the verses and pray them. It's going to change the way you pray. 
So many times we pray and we fall asleep even when we pray because we're bored by our prayers. Whitney asked, if you're bored by your prayers, how bored is God by your prayers? And it's very true. This morning, we're going to do that. This was a struggle for me to, to write a sermon on how to pray for your pastors because of a conflict of interest. You understand? Okay. So the difficulty that I was challenged the, 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 it was with was how do you tell the church to pray for you? Can you do that as a pastor? Can you tell the church to pray for you? And the answer to that is yes, you can. But you want to make sure that you include everyone in this, all of our church leaders in this. And the other thing I wanted to do this week is to simply show you the task of the overseer. The task of the overseer in the church. Imagine that we put in our bulletin a call, a call out for new leadership. We put it in our bulletin. And imagine that the verse that we selected for new leaders was James 3.1. It would probably not be a very good selection. Here's what James 3.1 says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, who wants to be an overseer? What do you think the response would be to that? Not many of you should desire to be overseers or teachers. They're, 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 they're very similar, okay? Not many of you should desire for this because don't you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness? It's hard enough being a Christian as is. Imagine the added burden of knowing that God will judge you with greater strictness. A greater strictness. Now add to this that most of your leaders have families to manage, homes to care for, and the general weight of all of life's burdens pressing down on them. And Paul says, though, in the midst of all of that, he tells us that those who desire to be a leader desire a noble task. I want to give you a more trustworthy saying, one that we should remember. Pastoral leaders are ordinary people called to do extraordinary tasks. Pastoral leaders are ordinary people called to do extraordinary tasks. So many times we, we think that our pastors are somehow super Christians. They've reached sainthood. The Bible tells us that all of us are saints. All of us are sanctified and are being sanctified. And that your pastors are part of the body. They will be judged with greater strictness, but they too are ordinary people. The application then from this simple saying is this. Pray for your pastoral leaders. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Paul's instructing a young pastor named Timothy. And he says this to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy. In other words, it can be trusted. It, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer... 
He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may, be pump, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I pray that your spirit would give us hearts for our leaders. I pray that you would remove any spirit of disunity and distrust that may persist between the members and our leaders. I pray that both would seek your face concerning their specific responsibilities as laid out in Scripture. I pray that both would view the other as your precious gift of blessing for the church. Give us both a spirit of graciousness toward the other, members and leaders alike. Make us one as you are one with the Son and with the Spirit. Let us reflect your nature by how we are united. Let us reflect the Lord's nature as he submitted to the will of the Father. Let our leaders submit to Christ and let our members submit to our leaders. God, I am convinced that only you and your Holy Spirit can do this. It is not within us to do it ourselves. We cannot set ourselves to be submissive. But your spirit in us can. Teach us, Lord, as leaders to submit to Christ. And teach us as members to submit to our leaders. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to answer the question then this morning with 11 simple applications. It's going to be 11. We're going to take this verse, this entire portion of Scripture, and we are going to do, as Donald Whitney has suggested, pray this Scripture. So how, then, can I pray for my leaders is the question we want to answer this morning. In general, I've asked specifically that we, well, not that would be a contradiction, specifically I've asked that you pray this for your leaders, for clarity, for courage, and wisdom. For clarity, for courage, and for wisdom. For clarity so that we might lead this church the way that God intends this church to be led. For courage that we might not be afraid of the world or of the response, but that we would all, all of our leaders, would be courageous to take God's word and bring it to you every Sunday, every Wednesday, and throughout the week. 
that we would be courageous to do that, that we would not cower about certain passages that might be difficult for the church, that we would be courageous to do that. And lastly, for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. The application of knowledge. Everything that we know as leaders is worthless if it's not applied. We must apply it. So specifically for this year, pray these three things for your leaders. But I want to look at the passage then. In verse 1 it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Number one, pray that God will give us men who desire to become overseers. That is a specific need for this church. And I am specifically asking this. That God will give us men that desire to become overseers. We have men in this church and we do not need new men for this task. We need the men that are here to desire it. And how the Spirit cultivates that desire in their heart is between God and that man. But it is our responsibility that we as a church pray that God begin to cultivate a desire in our men to be leaders. Paul says that the overseer must be able to teach. So therefore, just as James said, that those who are teachers will be judged with more strictness, we Two, overseers will be judged with the same strictness. But Paul still said that this is a noble task. The Greek word for noble here is kelos, and it literally means the good, the virtuous, or the beautiful task. The job of the overseer is one of the greatest duties a man can have this side of eternity. But what makes being an overseer is not the office, but the man. We need young men and old men right now to take seriously the call of God in their lives. To put away childish things and empty excuses. We need men in this church to become the spiritual leaders in their homes. So that they might have opportunity to become the spiritual leaders in our church. We need men to know scripture. We need men to study God's word. It is commonplace in this culture to allow the women to do the religion. Don't let that happen, men of Northwest Baptist Church. You must be the spiritual leaders in your home. You must know the Bible. You must study God's word. You must know theology. You must apply theology. You must be the leaders in your homes so that you will have opportunity to be leaders in this church. We need that right now. If the stumbling block for you men to become the leaders in this church is that you don't lead in your home, then the first thing you have to do this morning is go home and lead. That is no excuse to not lead in this church. And we desperately need it. 
pray, church, that God will give the men of this church a desire to lead once again. Number two, pray that your overseers will live a life above reproach. Have you ever stopped to think how devastating it is to people's faith when their spiritual fathers fail morally? Do I need to remind you of what has happened in South Florida over this last year when two huge churches, many of the people who attend those churches who are my friends were utterly devastated to hear that their pastors and leaders fell into sexual and immoral sins. Do I need to remind you of that? Pastors are ordinary men called to do extraordinary tasks. They have eyes too, you know. They are asked to go to Publix and shop for their wives and have to go through that aisle with all of the beautiful women looking right at them from that magazine saying, look at me, look at me. They have computers. They have beautiful women who want to be with them because of their power. Pray that God will keep that from ever destroying your leaders. They need it. We must pray as a church that our leaders will be protected from falling into grave sins. Grave because they kill both the man and the church. Oh yes, we will be saved if we repent of our sins, but what happens to the church? The scars that are left. Nothing hurts the church more than when her leaders fail to live lives above reproach. Pray that God will help your leaders to overcome temptation and to strive every day to conform to Christ. Number three, pray that God will protect the marriages of your leaders. This is so close to the first one. It's interesting that Paul in a list of praying or uh, uh, talking about the, the, the requirements of the overseer that one of the first things that he mentions in the list is the marriage. Some scholars argue that Paul has in mind that only married men should be overseers. That's not what Paul has in mind here, that only married men should be overseers. Paul wasn't married, so he would be very hypocritical if he was asking that only married men be overseers if he was an overseer and not married. That's not what Paul has in mind here. And Paul also may not just have in mind polygamy, the idea that you could have more than one wife. What Paul certainly has in mind is this, that if a man desires to be an overseer, he must first be a good overseer of his marriage and of his home. Neither adulterers nor polygamists are fit to be overseers in the church of God. But remember, men, and remember, church, to pray this. Adultery doesn't begin on the outside. It begins on the inside. Men, guard your hearts and your minds. Children know this very well when they begin this song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. 
God has given you, overseers, the responsibility to discern what not to look at, what not to touch, and where not to go. Church, pray that God protect the marriages of your leaders. We've got it backwards in the church today. We think that you have to pray or that your, your pastor has to be married to the church or that the church is his first responsibility. Uh-uh. No, no. He is not fit to be an overseer, the one who does not manage his own home, the one who is not faithful in his marriage. Do not twist those two. Church, do not demand more of your overseers than they can give Trust that the Lord will bless this prayer. Pray, number three, pray that God will protect the marriages of your leaders. Number four, pray that God will grant your leaders disciplined minds. Paul says, the overseer must be the husband of one wife and he must be sober-minded. Nephileon is the Greek word translated sober-minded and it means that these men should be restrained. This is not the point at which Paul is attacking drunkenness. That point's coming, but this isn't it. Sober-mindedness is not drunkenness here. What Paul has in mind is that the world of our thoughts cannot be allowed to go undisciplined. The mind must be chased just like the body must be chased. One of the greatest acts of devotion that we can give to God is how we discipline our minds to think thoughts after God's own mind. Many of us, even our overseers, can become Christian atheists and not know it. It's a Christian atheist. Say that's an oxymoronic term. Oh, we talk God blessed when we see people in the hallway. How are you today? I'm blessed. We've got all of the right nomenclature, all of that Christian nomenclature that separates us. And so no one would ever mistake. We wear the, we wear the, the t-shirt with Jesus doing push-ups, bleeding, and it says the Lord's gym. And we're good. And we got that WWJD around our wrist. And I'm not saying that, that those things are bad. Maybe a little ridiculous, but I'm not saying that those things are bad. What I'm saying is, God is looking at the heart. Sober-mindedness means that you trust that God sees what's going on on the inside. God can see it. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. The Pharisees did their deeds where men could see and praise them. But God's kingdom is a people who don't do that, people who clean the inside of the cup. Church, pray that your overseers be sober-minded. Pray that their egos never get the best of them. Don't help that one. God will take care of that. Pray that their egos never get the best of them. And pray that they seek God's face in everything. Number five, pray that God will grant your leaders self-control. The Greek word for self-control literally means prudent and moderate. Moderate. You see that word? Moderate. An overseer must not only discipline his mind, but he must also discipline his body. 
Sober-mindedness and self-control incorporate together the idea that the overseer of God must be disciplined in every part of his life. Pray that God will grant your leaders self-control. Pray that God's Holy Spirit will empower these men to fight off temptation. After all, isn't that exactly how Jesus taught us to pray? Did Jesus not pray? Lead us not into temptation? Take that prayer and give it to your leaders. Number six, pray for discernment from your leaders. Ephesians 5, 3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And Paul tells Timothy that we must be respectable. The word there means carry yourself with a, an air of respectability. It literally means something very simple. It, it's, not, it's not over and beyond that word. It just means carry yourself with discernment. Pray that God will create our overseers or create in our overseers discernment to abstain from activities, places, or things that might hinder their leadership. Pray that God will grant our leaders the wisdom they need to have proper relationships with others, to not even leave a hint of evil in their lives. I think one of the major difficulties that leaders are going to have in the 21st century is how to be leaders and how to be on social media. We haven't yet figured out the ethics of social media just yet. Leaders, before you take on social media, consider how you might reflect your leadership in social media. I'm, I'm not saying that this is off limits. I'm saying use discretion and discernment. Church, we have to pray for this in our leaders. Number seven, we have to pray that God will send us teachers of his word. Paul told Timothy, he must be able to teach. Nothing we do here is more important than teaching others the Bible. Yet the American Christian has been trained to glorify anti-intellectual faith. We've been taught that whenever we cannot answer a question to simply say, just trust God. Overseers, that will never, ever be enough to lead God's church. Imagine if Paul, when confronted with the questions that the Athenian philosophers had at the Areopagus, simply said, just trust God and that be enough. John Fox, my brother-in-law, will call me at god-awful hours of the night because he's single and doesn't have kids. And he won't ask me a trivial question. It's never, hey, dude. Usually it begins with, what's up, Drew? <laughs> I love that. And people say, don't, don't get too big for your britches when you're a pastor. Don't worry, I got John. So, what's up, Drew? Hey, really quickly, can you explain, uh, can you explain um, Stephen Hawking's model of the you know, steady state universe? And it's like, what? It's 1130. I've been asleep for four hours. 
And then I try to answer his question as best I can. I hope I embarrassed you, John, by the way. Don't miss that. I said, I hope I embarrassed him. The point is that he calls me because he knows that I care about these issues. I'm tooting my horn just a little bit. Just a little bit on that one. You know why? Because there were men before me who could answer those questions, and they're the reason I'm here today. They're the reason I'm here today because my professors were trying to destroy my faith. But those men who were overseers in our church at that time answered the tough questions and didn't say something like, just trust God. My professors were telling me that if evolution were fact, it would deny any need for divine intervention. It would deny the need for God. But I was living my entire life with this belief that God existed. I wasn't having sex with the beautiful girls because, after all, God would judge me. But if God doesn't exist, party on. How many kids, how many young people, how many people in this church are going to make decisions today based upon inadequate answers to their faith? Church, pray that your overseers care about answering tough questions. Pray that the health, number eight, pray, that, pray for the health of your leaders. Paul mentions drunkenness, but certainly gluttony can be added to this list as well. Both are deleterious to the leader's overall respectability. I said both are deleterious to the leader's overall respectability. Pray that your leaders will overcome addiction. Pray that your leaders will have the time to practice a healthy lifestyle. And pray that stress won't overcome your leaders. We have some people around, <laughs> some people I know, I should just say, some people I know who love to tell me when I'm gaining a little weight. Getting a little big there, huh? Rub my tummy. What's your end game there? What are you hoping I'm going to say with that? Thank you. Thank you that I am pre-diabetic. And then I'm going towards heart disease. Thank you for that. I feel good right now. I'm so edified. Now I'm depressed. I just want ice cream. <laughs> just pray. God, and this is serious, because Paul says, don't, listen, drunkenness. You know, we think just drunkenness. But how many, how many leaders aren't drunk but are gluttons and overweight? Listen, let's pray, God, give, give them time for their health. God, give them time for their health. Lord, we know, we know now in the 21st century that stress leads to obesity. God, how can I as a church member alleviate their stress? All of our leaders. Number nine, pray that God will give your leaders listening ears and humble hearts. Lest you think I'm too easy on our leaders today. Pray that God will give your leaders listening ears and humble hearts. Paul said, we don't want the leaders. Timothy, overseers shouldn't be quarrelsome. They shouldn't be violent. We don't want quarreling leaders. 
If there's anything that pastors need to work on today, it's these two things. It's that we need to listen better and be more humble. I'll be the first to admit it. Pray that God will make your pastors quick listeners. James said every man, certainly not least for the overseer, should be quick to listen. Somebody calls you, yes, yes. Quickly, quickly get into that conversation. And, and, And James has in mind, get in that conversation, and right as you get into it, get focused and shut up your mouth. Leaders, leaders, when your people are coming to you, Andrew, when your people are coming to you, listen to their needs. Pray that I'll have that spirit and that your leaders will have that spirit. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Leaders, slow to become angry. Pray that this spirit will be among your leaders. Pray that your leaders will have disciplined temperaments. Number 10, pray that God will grant your leaders protection over their homes. Pastors' homes are under attack in ways you may not imagine. Pastors' wives are expected to manage their homes flawlessly, and pastors' children aren't given the grace that other children are. Ask me how I know. Now, that wasn't always true with this church. This church has been so loving. Vilna, is Vilna in here? There she is. Vilna used to say to me all the time, she heard somebody chewing me out one day when I was a kid. And this was back when they had pay phones. Young people, there used to be a time. (laughs) There used to be a time where you would go to this thing called a a pay phone and you'd pull it off the, you'd, you'd pick it up, And it actually had a cord, it had a cord on it. All right, you guys following me so far? And you'd have to put money into it. So, all right, now that you're caught up on the illustration, young people. So she she heard somebody read me the riot act. I probably deserved it, but anyway, she heard it. And I'll never forget this story. I'll never forget this time because it was such a funny time. And I was standing right out here. She walks up and she says, she has a quarter in her hand. She's using a visual aid. And she walked up and she's grabbed my hand, and she put my hand out like this, and she says, next time they do that to you, put a quarter in their hand and say, call somebody who cares. (laughs) Olivia, go and do likewise. (laughs) That's a joke. That is a joke. The point is, the pastor's homes are under attack. You want to attack the sheep? Go to the, listen, when when you're not picking off Those who are falling away from the community, go after the head. You kill the head, the body dies. My dad had a file, I've actually seen it, called the the lunatic file. And he'd pull out pictures of his face that were printed up with horns on it. Because he preached reformed theology. Pastors' homes are under attack. Pray that your pastors will put... Their families first, even before their ministry. I've already said we've got it backward in the church today. Too many pastors focus on their ministry and not their families, and this is not biblical. Pastors are not married to their churches. They are married to their wives. Better that they leave the pulpit and save their marriages and their children then lose both because of neglect and divorce. 
Church, pray that your leaders put down the book and the, and, the, and the iPad and the computer and spend time with their children. I can tell you right now, I know I need that. I have got so many things that I want to do. And I've got good people who are older than me who are saying, slow down, young Padawan learner. <laughs> I love that I get to grow right in front of you. It's great for you and for me. Pray that your leaders have good rapport with outsiders. Finally, number 11. This is the last one. Pray that your leaders have good rapport with outsiders. Finally, overseers must have good rapport with those who are outside the church. Especially in this day, leaders of churches must be wise with how they deal with outsiders. What does Paul mean by this? Number one, pray that your leaders, church, pray that your leaders will overcome personal prejudice. Pray that your leaders will overcome personal prejudice. They're ordinary people, and ordinary people have personal prejudice. Pray that your leaders overcome personal prejudice. Well, I don't like it when a boy has his pants down. So what? He's created in God's image. Overcome it. You know why? Because when he overcomes it, he reaches that young man. And when he reaches that young man, that young man knows Jesus. And who cares about his pants? I'm convinced that you might keep them down even after you become saved. That's not the issue. Pray that your leaders overcome personal prejudice. Pray that God will teach your leaders how to present themselves to the lost world. Pray that God will give your leaders the wisdom they need to communicate the gospel to burgeoning generations. 66% of the builder generation considers themselves Christian. 15.15% of millennials consider themselves to be Christian. That's the generation our leaders are dealing with. How do we take the gospel to that generation and flip that statistic on its head? I want to see millennials come to know Christ. I need wisdom on how to do that. Pray that your leaders will learn to love people from every generation, culture, and creed. This is the only place where that can happen and the only way we can fulfill the Great Commission. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16 says this. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What's the point? The point is that the health of your leaders is intricately woven into the health of the church. If the leaders are right, Paul uses the word, when he says to Timothy, set an example, he uses the word tipos. 
And it literally means in the Greek to strike a mark down on something to see that the thing has been there. You strike it down. That there has been something there. There is a mark, an imprint on them. It's what's on the coin. George Washington's face is on the quarter. It's pressed down on there. You see it. You see that that quarter reflects George Washington. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be a tipos to your congregation. Let your mark, the fact that you, Timothy, look to Christ, you, Timothy, are to be the visible representative of Jesus Christ to your congregation so that your congregation, by extension, will conform to the image of Christ. Why do you pray for your leaders? Ultimately, because you are praying for yourself. The pledge this morning, if you have it, take it out of your bulletin. Here's what the pledge says. Remember that we don't need this pledge. Remember that we don't need it. You don't need to put it in the offering plate. And remember that if we can't live by it, let's not sign it. But here's the pledge we're going to take as a church today. Because after all, I am a church member. And this is what it means to be a member of the church. I will pray for my pastor every day. I understand that the pastor's work is never ending. His days are filled with numerous demands that bring emotional highs and lows. He must deal with critics. He must be a good husband and father. Because my pastor cannot do all things in his own power, I will pray for his strength and wisdom daily. Before you sign that, I'm going to tell you something really quick and we'll end. My dad called me yesterday and he asked me how everything was going with the ministry. He knows something about me that some of you know, and that is that I have a tendency to worry, to be anxious. He said to me, how are you? Expecting for me to say to him, I'm hanging on by a thread. This is the most stressful time of my life. I don't know of a time more stressful than this. I have more on my plate than I have ever had in my entire life. Rudy asked me before I took the pledge up here. He said, are you scared? I said, no. He said, you should be. You know what I attribute this to? I said, Dad, I'll be honest with you. I am so completely relaxed. You know what I attribute it to? A church that I know is praying for me. I know you are. So I say thank you for that. I'm telling you, it is by the Holy Spirit. If I should be scared, don't let me know. But I want to say thank you personally, from my heart, for praying for me and for my family because I know you're doing it. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for this congregation who you know I pray for so much. Lord, I know that this congregation prays for me and for their leaders. God, we are ordinary people that you have called to do extraordinary tasks. God, I pray that if there be any separation of love or any kind of hurt or harm that has been cultivated in this church between the pastor and the congregation, God, I pray that you would heal that wound today. I pray that you would make this church a church that prays for one another, that you would make your leaders pray for your church, that every leader who's been called to this task would think about those who are in their oversight. I pray that we would pray for our people, but Lord, I pray that our people would pray for their leaders. Lord God, we cannot be this church in our own flesh and in our own strength. The Northwest Baptist Church can only be the Northwest Baptist Church that you want it to be by your Holy Spirit, by your strength and power. So we call on your name, Lord, to make this church, to make your leaders, to make your members God-glorifying, Christ-conforming, other-directed people. In Jesus' name, amen.